Welcome to the Modern Yogi Podcast, an exploration of ancient wisdom. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back, friends. Thank you for joining us. And we are on episode number 11. 11. All right. And if you love this podcast. Yeah, if you like have this urge to want to see our faces when you're alone, staring your phone at home, what do what do we do? Follow us on Instagram. <laughs> right? We, you're going to see our faces a lot on Instagram and you're going to get some cool tidbits. And if you have any questions... You can ask us there as well. Yes, please DM us if you have any questions. We'll what try is to our Instagram? Oh my goodness. Our Instagram is at the Modern Yogi Podcast. Just kidding. At Modern Yogi Podcast. <laughs> without the da, I am so sorry. We're, we're getting used to this ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we're not used to this shameless promotion. So we don't even know what our handle is. It's, it's for the fans. For the Modern fans. Yogi Podcast, right? Thank you. Yes, Perfect. that's correct. All right. Alrighty. So where'd we leave off? We are on chapter two, text number 39. And a quick recap of what we, we did in the last, episode so basically krishna is talking about the soul and then he quits he he talks a lot about the soul a let's lot, be honest a lot. we were hammering <laughs> down a crash course on the soul there was so much soul talk it was yeah he yeah. was soul searching and so at one point he switches his argument completely and he i think he begins to taunt right arjuna in a, a way because the yeah. first one he's like okay even if you don't believe in the soul and you just believe we're a sack of bones and chemicals comprising our body you still go out and fight. You need to fight. You need to fight, bro. You need and to fight. then he kind of says, oh, if you don't fight, they'll look at you as a coward. They're going to think you're a loser. Uh-huh. <laughs> Capital L. Yes, he's taunting Arjuna. And so that argument has switched up. And now we're going to talk a little bit about detachment in the next couple of verses. But before we get into that, we'll have the invocation. Let's do it. Om Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurum Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Translation. I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances onto him. Beautiful. So we had already done text 39 last episode, but there's some tidbits in the purport because this is like the first time we're introducing the concept of what is bhakti yoga or pure devotional love. So that's, should, a, that's a huge one. Do, do we want to dive back into the purport a little? Yes, but I think we wanted to just read the text real quick. Absolutely. So chapter two, text 39. Thus far, I have described this knowledge to you through analytical study. Now listen as I explain it in terms of working without fruit of results. O son of Pritha, when you act in such knowledge, you can free yourself from the bondage of works. So what about a brief recap on fruit of results? That's not (laughs) your everyday jargon, right? So what is fruit of results, Priya? What do you think? Putting you on the hot seat? I mean, uh, we have to come up with a shorter word that we can always reference for ourselves, but I always just picture like putting in a seed in soil and like hoping that it grows into a beautiful tree. But if you have this pressure of like, I must, this plant, like tomato plant must give me 10 tomatoes. They must give me the rewards, right? They must give me the rewards right. of the fruit. I must have the reward of the fruit and this expectation you're going to suffer rather than having this sort of attitude of let me plant it, put water and let's see what it can oh, grow to be. Oh, I love that. Because if you right? visualize it as the fruit of your work, 
anything you're going to do in this world has fruits, right? right? You work, work, work for money, the money's the fruits. So if we consider the fruits as just for ourselves to enjoy them, that's kind of like the, the fruit of results that we want to stay yes. away from. The rewards of our actions. And I there mean, we go. Even if you don't believe in all of this high, high knowledge, Let's just paint a picture quickly of someone who's very self-centered, egotistical, and all the work mm. they do in life is just for themselves. I want to work, work, work so I can buy myself new clothes. I can go on fun vacations versus someone who's like, I don't know, a little more selfless. Like, yeah, I want to work to provide for my family or there's yeah. different for society, right? Society or there's, there's like a stepping stone scale of it's not black and white. There's different like levels, right? So we yeah. can try to give back beyond ourselves to our family, to society, but then there's an even higher platform, which we're kind of starting to pave the way towards. Yeah. Actually, even further than that, we can say that it says right here that if you understand that you shouldn't work for these results, then you'll be free from the bondage of these works. Right. And I, I have an example of like, let's say wealthy person. And actually I have a person in mind. I heard this, um, this, uh, interview from Kevin Hart, you know, okay. the, the yeah, little guy. Yeah. The yeah, little guy. He's little super guy. funny. Oh, he would love that description. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think he, we're the same height. I'm five too. So oh, I think yeah, he's okay. also five too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> anyways, sorry, good. So, no, you're good. You're good. Um, so he was saying that he's worked so hard to achieve the position that he's currently in that he now has to continue to work really hard to maintain the lifestyle that he's gotten used to. Yes. Right. So this idea that like working towards this result kind of just entangles you and kind of keeps you bonded to having to continue to do the work, to continue to get the result. And it's like right. a never ending trap of the golden handcuffs, right? Oh like God. this yes. idea that right. you have to continue to work, to continue to have the lifestyle that you want. And to it, one day be able to enjoy the peace that comes exactly. with it, right? So I, mean, I think, yeah, yeah, I can't relate to that completely because I'm not Kevin Hart, I'm not a multimillionaire, <laughs> but I just got Instacart the other day yeah. and Instacart just changed my life, but it's so expensive. I, I, for those of you who don't know, Instacart is when <laughs> someone else is grocery shopping for you and then they drop it off at your doorstep. And then now wow. I can't go back to the peasant lifestyle of going <laughs> to the grocery <laughs> store. And haven't they upped the notch to like to where it's a little cart that can drive itself to your home? I'm that driver oh that's God. driving and I see those carts and I'm a little anti-technology. I'm like, rah, rah, like a bitter old man. What is that cart doing? Replacing people. I know. It's, I can't it's go tying back. us. It's bonding us. It's it's bonding to, us. Right. to do Going this. back to your point, Priya, Honestly. sorry to interrupt, but No, no, that was us. fantastic. That was a great example of everyday life. Right. And exactly what Priya said, it continues on the next page of the purport. It says, all these individuals are working in this material world for sense gratification. So basically to please their own senses and under the spell ooh, of material energy, they are thinking of being enjoyers. Yes. So I want to pause here because, okay, that, that last line, we're thinking to be the enjoyers, right? Someone might think it's okay. Of course we're the enjoyers. Who else would we be working for? What does that if mean? If I'm working so hard, of course I'm going to enjoy the fruits of my labor. Right, right, right. But I mean, yeah, if you take it a step beyond, are we really happy when we just try to enjoy everything alone? Or is it in a relationship when we give back that we enjoy it even more? Like if you live alone at home and you just make a beautiful dinner and eat it for yourself... Yeah, self-love is great, but you don't enjoy it as much as when you cook for somebody else and maybe a mother cooking for yeah. their child yeah. to try to feed someone else. They've done they've, they've, they've done like different situations and examples um, where someone gives you like $10 and you can either keep it for yourself right. or you can give $1 to somebody else. And it's like they everyone voted on giving money away rather than mm. keeping it for their own. That's a great point because sometimes, right. When we read philosophy from a spiritual text, you might, the mind might prevent or provide certain barriers where you're like, I do where I don't believe in that. But 
do the test on yourself. Keep the money all for yourself. What are you going to feel internally versus give it, give some away, do give back, do, do, um, yeah, a little Donation, spiritual right? work like yeah. that. that and then beautiful, what do you feel? Uh, yeah. That beautiful altruism and that right. just like, that's the best feeling in the world. It's like, like you kind of have an happy. innate compass already guiding you. Yeah. You kind of know already. So yeah. before rejecting it, just, just tap into what do you feel? And also I, I want to bring on the, uh, like a different side of this, which is also, and I think it'll come back in the text so we can talk about it more, but the idea that yes, you still have to fill your cup first. Right. Right. I, I don't want someone to think like, well, am I just supposed to give everything away? Oh, like, am I course. supposed to do everything for everyone? No, like you fill your own cup and then you also share with others. And then that brings like real true joy because collecting a bunch of purses is not going to bring you joy. Uh, collecting cars, like it's a temporary, like, oh, wow, I'm so right. cool. I have a car. But really at the end of the day, it's like what will ultimately make you happy is doing good things for others. Right. So and that's on your first oxygen mask yourself. Right. It's a great that's point, it. Priya, because it's not like, okay, I'm going to keep all the money for myself, but yes, I'm going to do the things that nourish myself so yes. my cup can be full so I can continue yeah. to give away. It's not like spread yourself thin. And then yeah. it does say, uh, this is kind of like the last snare of Maya. Have we, have we talked about what is Maya yet? Kind of is like Not the yet. illusory energy that covers you. The, the What does that mean? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. What is this energy that's covering well, me? Well, we've talked about what does being in, okay, for you guys, what does being an illusion mean? In previous chapters, we've talked about it's illusion when you think you're just a body, not a soul. It's illusion when you think this realm is the only realm. So saying illusory energy is that energy that covers you over from what is the reality going on here? When you say illusory energy, I always think of the Matrix, right? Because <laughs> yeah. like they were they were living in this like like fake world, essentially. Right. right? It was illusion. So exactly. Buying into, of course, we're of this world right now. So it's, it's kind of unrealistic to say, I'll oh, just give up this world, but it is a dream. So it's at least, you know, there's something else. It's not something like this greater. is the end all be yep. all. So this and, line says, oh, mm -hmm. go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and, and it's not just even about something greater, but rather the illusion of if I get that next job, I'm mm -hmm. going to be happy. Or if I get yes. uh, a boyfriend, I'm going to be happy. Or if I, or if I order those 10 packages on Amazon <laughs> and then I get retail happy for like five minutes. Shama, exactly. I feel like, did you do that last night? Know, it happens yeah. all the time. Amazon, Amazon retail therapy. Yeah. So like that illusion is right there. It's not just like the illusion of like, well, listen, there's God and I should understand that. But actually just like, like starting from zero, the illusion is that I can achieve all these things. And those are the things that are going to bring me happiness. Well, actually happiness is not about the things. Oh, it's not. It's never. It's I mean, not. how many times have we bought things and we're like, oh my God, this is going to be so great. And it lasts for what? Five minutes? Oh, yeah. oh my God, ladies, there's a song that actually one of the teachers in our line started singing. I was hearing a class the other day. There's, it's an old, old song that it says, is that all there is? Ba-doom, boom. I thought you were going to start singing Material Girl. Is. No, material. no, no. So she, she starts <laughs> she starts describing different scenarios in the world and coming to the feeling of, is that all there is? That's, mm. that's is a deep question. And yeah, one of the swamis started singing it on the in the class. It was so funny, but it's true because you know what? If you think that's all there is, you're going to be very disappointed. And that's the illusion. That, that is the illusion. Uh -huh. That's the illusion, that's right? Maya. So then I, I think you were saying, Shamali, earlier, like Krishna, um, we've hit a new point, right? In which Krishna right. saying to him, hey, listen, not only is it your duty, uh, not only is it that, you know, 
they're the spirit soul and they're going to live forever. But now do this for me. Right. And because you know what, it, there's a sentence that leads up to write what Priya mentioned that says, so I was saying, this is the last snare of Maya or of this illusion that covers us over. And it's only after many, many, many births and many engagement in sense gratification and me, 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 that a great soul finally surrenders. So it's kind of the idea of before we can even just bow down and say, you know what, my Lord, I'm tired. I don't have the answers. We, we, try, we try, we try, we try for more time than we even know we've been trying to enjoy this world. So we finally, what happens is we get tired yes, and exhausted. then you start lifting the veil and <laughs> then we get to the point of, okay, what is God's will? What is the Lord's will? Oh, I like that. What is God's will? <laughs> and so that's exactly what ties in into like bhakti yoga. What right? is bhakti? Okay, I like even as a kid, I heard this term over and over again, and I had no idea what it was. Even coming from an Indian household, right? Like yeah. nobody ever said the words bhakti yoga. But as soon as like I figure, like I like joined this this movement, I hear this word all the time. And also, I also heard, um, I also heard, I think Sean like. I, I saw it on Instagram, mm -hmm. of like people talking about the bhakti yoga movement. So like, what is it? Yeah. So uh, bhakti yoga, we will describe it better in the future. Right, but there's many now, different ways it's explained. It, right. right. But the, the gist of it is the practice of doing devotional service with God as the forefront. So doing God's will, right? Like doing service with God in mind, God being the center of it. And bhakti meaning love, right? right. Oh, love. Yeah. And yeah. yoga meaning to connect to something higher than yourself. And you right. know what? It's going to talk about it in way more depth, but let's bring up the analogy that we had said of the equation, right? Which is kind of like love or devotion plus knowledge. So we're here trying to gain knowledge ourselves. And this podcast is great for us because we're having to study it in a whole new way. Plus doing our duty. What is our mission in this life? So it's, it's going to go into it, but I think it's a beautiful concept that when you have love of God, he will give you the knowledge. You don't have to scramble around trying to find the knowledge. The realizations will come as you surrender more. It's going to go into a lot of depth in there, but basically here, the next line after saying, we're so tired, we're tired before we finally surrender. It says, Arjuna's already accepted Krishna as his spiritual master by surrendering unto him. And Krishna will now tell him the practice of devotional service only for the gratification of the Lord. Now I want to pause there because that the first time I read that maybe years ago, it's like, whoa, so I'm only supposed to try to please the will of the Lord. Now that's a very high, high, high level, but I want to bring it to real terms and think of, I don't know, a mom, they say the mo mother's love for her, their, her children are, is one of the most pure, almost like God-like forms of love. I would I would almost say that most mothers try to really like keep their children's needs and will at the center. Uh, and mm. when they serve, it's really thinking of their kid in mind. So in a way, we're not going to forget about ourselves because as Priya had said, we still have to keep our cup full. But everything kind of subtly shifts and everything we do is trying to be in the service of what is God's will and how can I work my life to try and be in line with his uh, higher desire and plan. Right. That's, and it can be applied in so many ways of our lives, right? right? So like we were saying, if you grow a tomato, now you're not going to eat all the tomatoes. Maybe you share some with your neighbors. But right. also beyond that, you might say like, be grateful to God for right. providing the tomatoes. And then you might say like, you know, a prayer in whichever, you know, way you feel comfortable in and, and different parts of life. You can do community service or uh, share about, spiritual knowledge with other people. So devotional service is the idea of almost uh, 
community service in a sense, but uh, and also keeping God in mind. So right. I, I like that the because when you well, like, I'm having trouble with this concept of like, you know, respecting the will of God. I was like, how do I know what the will mm. of God mm. is? Right? Like that is a like that's hard for me to grasp because and if it I, is going to outlay the path a little more further down because it's going to literally give you a yes. step by step how to get there. But right. continue, continue. But I, but I do like this notion that, that Priya mentioned is like is like that relationship, right? Mm, it's right. like is bhakti yoga is essentially a relationship with God. And I can right. dig that because I've had a relationship with God even before I knew what this path was. I, I was, a, as a five-year-old, praying to something higher mm, than myself. Right. That, essentially, that is bhakti yoga, is trying to develop a relationship, a loving, beautiful relationship with God, essentially, and, and right? And he's so merciful that he doesn't say, because Priya had said maybe community service. Right. He doesn't say, give up everything and only do things for me. That's a very high level. And if you want to do that, you can become right. a swami or a monk. But he gives kind of a, a sliding scale. So if you can't There's do this, stages. do this. If you can't do this, do this. And it's like steps and it's up to your will. You can go taking steps and climbing that ladder. And it says such communion with God does not take place without devotional service. So if you have that love, God knows your heart. He knows what you want and he will reciprocate back with you to where you're at in your path. Yeah. Can I read something here? Of too? Course. It says one who works for the satisfaction of the Lord only However difficult such work may be, is working under the principles of bhakti or buddhi yoga and finds himself always in transcendental bliss. Beautiful. So they're saying like, hey, listen, if you kind of put this relationship between you and God as the forefront of your life, as Shama Sangeeta said, you will find yourself in transcendental bliss. And I love that you said that because at, at the end of the day, most of us in the world are working for ourselves, right? right? And how many times do you hear the depression rates and the anxiety rates? Mm. Because we're all just in the rat race trying to get those Amazon packages, you know, or at least I am. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. But like when the moment that you, the, the, the switch goes off in your spiritual journey and it's like, now I'm not working for myself anymore. I'm working for a higher being. That is the ultimate goal of happiness. And mm. can I share one thing actually very practically? Because when you said, Shama, uh, the depression rates are rising and everything. I'm just wrapping up my master's thesis in spirituality. And there's a relevant point. Basically, we were analyzing kids who have a spiritual foundation compared to kids who do not. And how does that play out in their lives? So interesting. And not and all these kids are on the outside doing the same activities. They're waking up, they're coming to school, going to classes, going to their sports and everything. How so, old are these kids? We analyzed kids from pre-kindergarten, so three and four years old, all up until eighth grade. Wow. Okay. So middle school. Love that. And children who have some either religious affiliation or are spiritual, they all, and we collected, this was a long research process, collecting data, interview surveys. Basically, kids who are spiritual demonstrated on the flourishing side of life, meaning they, they showed signs of personal growth mental well-being and mm. academic resilience. All the kids that showed quote unquote languishing and languishing is defined as a feeling of hopelessness and emptiness and anxiety and it spirals deeper and deeper into very dark feelings. All of the kids that fell on that side of the scale were not spiritual, which that was is incredible. incredible. And that is to say, all these kids on the outside are doing the same activities. They're going to their sports, their violin, their school, la 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 la, la. <sighs> But they have some additional component within their hearts. And that is the presence of spirituality. Wow. That is based on science. Shama oh, yeah. is a master. She's doing her <laughs> master's. So whoever's listening, just know that what she's talking about, she's legit. Okay? She took us a lot about. of That's research. Amazing. And it's so cool because I believe in this. And then to show that or to see that the data 
also supported it was Oof. amazing. The data is supporting exactly what Krishna is mm-hmm. talking about right now. Exactly. Isn't that wild? It's amazing. It's wild on so many levels because this is a 5,000-year-old 5, book. Yeah, and right. it's still relevant today. It's so relevant today. Oh, and I want to add, like, this book, you know, I, we at one point said we should dedicate a whole episode to talking about the the fact or what makes this book so true because we have, like, people who have worked in NASA and have proven the constitution of the planets and everything the Vedic literature outlines all of these technical positions before modern science had the instruments to even analyze yes. it. And it's true. And we have friends that work in there that have given classes on all of these like similarities and things that Vedic or the knowledge that this Bhagavad Gita comes from. It's so true. It's all real. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's like, this is like, everyone is into yoga and meditation and they now know the scientific benefits of meditation and mm. all of these things. And like the Bhagavad Gita is ahead of its time, essentially, it right? Really 5,000 years ago, Krishna knew exactly what he was talking about. Right. And it's only until now we're proving the scientific benefits. And you know what Krishna is saying? I will give you all this knowledge and more if you just give me love. Love is the key recipe because here it says, the Lord says, therefore, only those who are engaged in devotional service out of transcendental love. So basically trying to serve for something beyond yourself. Yes. You can do your same work, be the CEO, whatever, but try to do it as a service to God out of love. Then he, capital H, he awards the pure knowledge that comes in devotional love. And in that way, the devotee can reach him easily in the ever blissful kingdom That's of God. It. You said love. That's the love. only thing. He's that not asking the, for mm-hmm. money or jewels. He's not asking you to follow him on Instagram. You know, he just <laughs> follows us on Instagram and, though. We're asking for your yeah, yeah, we're love asking, with conditions. Because we're, we're very fallen, very fallen souls. But like, <laughs> like, like Krishna is not asking for jewelry or money or like putting money in a donation box. He's not, he doesn't care about that right. stuff. And you know? he tries to repeat it again because he says it in the beginning of the purple or in the middle and in the end again about love he just says by such transcendental engagement with love one can achieve full understanding automatically which and that understanding comes by the grace of the lord and thus his liberation is complete in itself and it says we don't have to make any extra endeavors to acquire the knowledge it will come if you give yourself up in love and that's the purpose of life. Bhakti yoga is the Bhakti purpose yoga. of life. Developing a loving relationship with God. If you rem- if you remember nothing else from any podcast episode, <laughs> it's just all know about what, ladies? A loving love. relationship. It's all just love. That's yes. it. All it is is Woo. love. This is all just the beginning of the episode. Love. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. it. And he just says, uh, to put into context why we spoke so much about the soul and the soul and the soul and the soul, the last episode here, it says, Lord Krishna made an analytical description of the soul just to bring Arjuna to the point of buddhi yoga or bhakti yoga, meaning he just paved the way to be able to talk about pure love in Boom. service. Boom shakalaka. Boom shakalaka. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how that came out of my mouth. That's good. All right, well, it just well, felt well. like a mic drop. That was great. All right, moving on to text number 40. Perfect. Shamali or Awesome. Uh, in this endeavor, there is no loss or discrimination, and a little advancement on this path can protect one from the most dangerous type of fear. I love this purport. Diminution. Diminu- oh, diminu- oh, what did I say? In- discrimination. Okay, let me reread this. Uh, in <laughs> Text this number 40. <laughs> <laughs> Recap. In this endeavor, there is no loss or diminution 
and a little advancement on this path can protect one from the most dangerous types of fear. The purple will explain what this even means because these are two, this is one very packed in sentence. Mm. Do we want to dive in a second? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, the way I see it is I, this is one of my favorite verses. I love it. Okay. So mm. if you consider that we all have multiple lifetimes, right? right? And what do we take with us when we die? Mm. We don't take we don't our take house. Money, we don't take money. Clothes, we don't take our family. We don't take face. our clothes. We don't take anything, right? However, according to Bhakti Yoga philosophy, we do take the amount of spiritual progress right. yeah. that we've made in a certain lifetime. Right. So for instance, if I, in my past lifetime and I lived till 80 years old and I was listening to the Modern Yogi podcast as an 80 year old and I learned so much about Krishna consciousness and Bhakti Yoga, according to the Bhagavad Gita, in my next lifetime, I pick up right where I left off in terms of my spiritual knowledge. Yeah, it says right. it right here. 1% done in Krishna consciousness bears permanent results so that the next beginning is from point of 2%. Whereas in material activity, without 100% success, there's no profit. Right, ah. like in the material world, if I were to be doing my master's thesis and halfway through, I'm like, you know what? Forget this. I'm done. There would be no, it's all, no, it'd, it'd all be garbage. the data collected, that all you the did. interviews, garbage. Yes. Exactly. Gone down the drain. But that's not the case in spiritual life. You know, I grew you up pick around. pick it up. Exactly. There was this saying kind of like any, any coins that you put in your spiritual bank account are yours forever to mm. take. Love that. That's a great loophole actually. Because ah, I'm a lazy Shama person. loves loopholes. I love loopholes because I'm hella lazy. <laughs> and so I just love that the fact that like, the fact that every single person who's listening to this podcast right now is learning about the Gita, it's not not the first time that you've heard about it. It's not the first time that you've felt this joy in your heart or this, this need to discover this knowledge. It's not the first time you've been doing this for lifetimes because the fact that you're on chapter two with us, it means you've done these chapters before in a previous right. lifetime. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the key thing, the first line says that whenever you're trying to do this activity of devotional love for God, try not to expect anything in return. They say without expectation of sense gratification. So it's not like I will give you something God, if you give me a shiny Ferrari, I will get good results. Transactional love. Yeah, it's not conditional. It's not at all. And we kind of talked about it many episodes ago. If we're like, okay, take your mom, for example. She'll know if the kid comes up and is like, hey, mom, I love you. Can I borrow the keys to your car? And she'll go right through it. She'll be like, okay. But if the kid comes up and is like, I just, I love you, mom, and leaves, the mom is so filled with love that they want to give and reciprocate even more. So that's similar. God is so pleased when you're able to give love just just because you want to serve his will and please him without expecting anything. And he'll give you more. I think we all can attest to feeling that at some point mm-hmm. in our lives yeah. you know like when, when have you some, felt it Priya I'm tell just us. saying like in general like if when someone is uh, sort of demanding something from right. you you don't want to give it right. or when someone is like expecting like the idea that someone out of the love in their heart like shows appreciation or wants like it just makes you feel like wow and I think that's what Krishna right. wants at the end of the day he wants us to out of the kindness of our hearts say like actually I see you Yes. You're the everything. You're amazing. And I appreciate everything you've given me and all the opportunities you've given me to connect with you. I right? got chills just now because, it, again, bring it back to we're trying to discover the qualities of God, of our superior Lord, the source of all sources. So with what you said, Priya, it's like he is so loving and lovable. that He mm. just wants our love. He's waiting there in our hearts for us to turn around and give him a little Attention, selfless attention. Yeah. So in general, this text is basically saying that material activities and their results end with the body. 
but work in Krishna consciousness carries even after the loss of the body. At right. least one is sure to have a chance in the next life of being born as a human being. Um, either in a family of a great Brahmana, so we learned that that's like a scholar, right? Um, or of a rich family. And I thought that was really interesting because I think at least I have thought about the hierarchy of how we get our bodies a yes. little bit. And what families that we're born in exactly. and the level of socioeconomic status that we're born in. Right. It's and, like crazy. And like, can Oh, I was just connecting her concept to like something what many people hear is like, oh, kindred spirits or birds of a feather flock together, or you have a soul connection. Souls are gravitated to each other. And that's even in a more um, esoteric realm that we're drawn to the families we're drawn to for a specific reason. Mm -hmm. Like, thank goodness I was born into my parents, born to them and the family I have because they went searching the world to come into contact with this philosophy. But thank God. I was born into a family where it's just like, oh, bam, it's it's here. And mm -hmm. we all still have to take a step forward to it. Like some yes. people are born into it and reject it. And then they, they, you know, everyone's path, the pendulum might go one way to swing back to the other. But like I was able to have it in my face to then be like, okay, oh my God, yes. And take my step forward towards yeah. it. And so, yeah, I think the emphasis here is also just like you were born as a human being. Yeah. The importance mm. of having the ability of consciousness and thinking process and action, being able to seek God and learn about God and right. develop that relationship. And it's right? important to mention that, like you said, human being, right? Because according to Bhakti Yoga philosophy, if you live your life and you're not caring about spirituality and say you're a like, say you, you, you sleep all the time, like mm. you sleep like 13 <laughs> hours a day, according to karmic philosophy, you, you actually downgrade from a human and into something like a bear who just sleeps all the time, right? Because that's what because you want to you've, do. you've wasted your human <laughs> life and you haven't taken advantage of it. So why should you reincarnate again as a human? Because you're going to waste it again. Right. You might as well downgrade to an animal body. And they say things like if you're sleeping too much, like 20 hours a day and you're you might right. as well have a body of a bear in your next life. We don't want to waste this birth. Here in the purport, it says, as the Christians say, what profiteth a man if he gain the whole world yet suffer the loss of his eternal soul? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. Did anyone else's um, parents tell them stuff like, if you eat standing up, you're going to become a horse in your next life? Oh, I didn't hear the horse. You know what I heard? If you eat standing up, uh, the God of death is sitting on your shoulder, taking years <laughs> off of your life. Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> Crazy. older Indian lady told me that and I was like, already, already. That, that, I don't know. Um, They're superstitions. These facts are not accurate. We're, no, you know, we're not promoting those. We're these old Indian lady superstitions. Oh my goodness. That's a lot heavier than mine. Yeah, yeah. Things things you grew up hearing. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. Text 41. All right. Predation takes away. Yes. Text 41. Those who are on this path are resolute in purpose and their aim is one. O beloved child of the Kurus, the intelligence of those who are irresolute in many brands. Is, is, is many oh, branched. Is many branched. I'm sorry. I'm going to try that again if yes, you guys don't mind. Of course. Yes. Okay. Those who are on this path are resolute in purpose and their aim is one. Oh, beloved child of the Kurus, the intelligence of those are irresolute. It. <laughs> the intelligence Cut, of those who are irresolute is many branched. I did it again. again. I'm just going to go from Oh, beloved child. Yes. Oh, beloved child of the Kurus, the intelligence of those who are resolute is many branched. Okay, right. so I had to look up the definition of resolute, actually. And resolute mm. essentially means un, like, uh, like unwavering. Right. Yes. Yeah, unflinching. It's kind of like a horse who has those blinders on his eye, the race horse, oh, and yeah. they only see one goal. So when you know 
what your mission is in life, what we're working towards. It gives you that map and that resolute one track purpose. Like through all the other activities I could do in life, I still know where I'm trying to get. So that makes sense because if you don't, horse blinders, right? And if you don't have this purpose, I could go this way or that way. I'll go where the wind blows and I don't really know what to do because what's my goal? What am I doing? I don't know. So the purpose here that they're talking about is what? Faith. Faith? It is... The, yeah. the purpose is like bhakti yoga. Exactly. It's developing it's a relationship Krishna with consciousness. Krishna. Yeah. Bhakti there yoga. was one yes. line that made me think of something Shama had said the last episode. Here it says, faith means unflinching trust in something sublime. sublime. So when I first read that, I thought, right, but we have so much knowledge that it doesn't just have to be about faith. So I was crying. I read that again and again. And then I thought of Shama last episode had said, right, but initially it takes the first leap of faith yes. to jump into this and even accept like, this is something of value in my life. So the knowledge will come, the realizations come, but you need to take the first step of faith. And you know what? Sometimes I was even considering the concept of faith even further. Faith doesn't, faith means that even if God presents something in my path, that's not according to my plan. My faith won't waver. I won't be like, God, how could you? I will no longer believe in you anymore because Mm. you're hurting me. God has a plan, which is for your utmost benefit. And everything that happens to all of us is perfectly tailored to what lessons we came into this life needing to learn. So faith is that I like the unflinching trust that everything is meant for a reason for my growth. Hallelujah. It says uh, a strong faith that by Krishna consciousness, one will be elevated to the highest perfection of life. Is like what we're trying to endeavor for. Yeah, right. it has a particular That's name. The goal. But yeah, so we're trying to develop strong faith. I in, like the horse blinders analogy. That's really right? cool. Because yeah. I think we all need horse blinders. Because when mom, I'm on Instagram, I don't have horse blinders. No, you I know what? Like, <laughs> I'm looking My mom used to tell me that because I was a very ADD kid. I could run in a million directions. I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> horse blinders, horse blinders. Even in, when I was in the in the school of the community called Gurukul, kind of where they, it's it's like. The elementary school, but basically you also talk about spirituality there. I would turn around in my desk and want to talk to all the little kids next to me. And this principal even at one point came and put a board around my desk, like boarding me off from Shelly being able to see everyone. Shelly went to child prison. But you know what? She ended up moving that because it was more of a distraction because I would stand up then to be with my little head above the board to still be able to talk to everyone. She's like, ah, Shamali. And she pulls my desk next to her then so I could focus. But I ended up talking to her and she's like, oh my God, I can't get any work done. And then she put me back. <laughs> this doesn't anyway. surprise me at all. Not, not yeah, one yeah. bit. So horse blinders is a concept I became familiar with very early on. (laughs) That's hilarious. And here, uh, one thing, here it says, (laughs) sorry. Go somewhere, go. Uh, Down memory lane. Okay. It says the resolute purpose of a person in Krishna consciousness or in God consciousness is based on knowledge. So I love that because at the top it says unflinching faith, but Mm -hmm. then down below it says, oh, but what does faith need to also have? Knowledge. Knowledge. So it's that, that equation, that golden equation of devotion or feelings plus knowledge. And then the equations, it continues, but the knowledge will come with love. Yeah, I, I found this other part of the purport that I really like. It says, when one is awake in Krishna consciousness, he need no longer endeavor for good results in his activities. And what that means is that when you are in Krishna consciousness, all activities are no longer subject to like being good or bad. Because right. you're kind of putting God in the, the, the center, forefront. Yeah, the forefront of it, right? And so like imagine just not having to consider, am I doing the right thing? Like you are doing the right thing by being Krishna conscious. Yep. And another part of the purport that I love is that 
service in Krishna consciousness is best performed under a bona fide spiritual master, right? Mm. A guru, a teacher, a mentor, someone who can guide us, someone who's been through all of this, who knows the right path to bhakti yoga, who can guide us to help us on that path. Right. And another part says, as by watering the root of a tree, one automatically distributes water to the leaves and branches. So by acting in Krishna consciousness or God consciousness, one can render the highest service to everyone, oneself, one's family, society, country, humanity, etc. Etc. So if God is satisfied by one's actions, then everyone will be satisfied because why? God ultimately has everyone's best interest in mind. Yeah. And connecting those two points that you guys just made together, it says by the satisfaction of the spiritual master, the Supreme Personality of God had become satisfied. So by doing Krishna consciousness, you're affecting yourself, your family, society, and everyone else. And if you do Krishna consciousness under the guidance of a spiritual master, then you're also making Krishna really happy. Yep. Love that. And to be honest, like, when you when I first heard the word spiritual master as like someone who was new to this study, mm. like maybe like ten years ago, How'd you I was feel? like, nope, not for me. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> like this whole like guru thing because there's a lot of like I come from an Indian background. Right. There's a lot of fake gurus yeah, yeah. that that are in different lineages of, of Hinduism and and especially around the world, right? You hear right. about priests in like the the Catholic Church and you hear about all of these things and you're just I was just kind of like turned off by this like notion of of like, oh, I need a guru. Like, I don't mm. know. Right. But as I went deeper into my study and like understanding things, like there's only a certain level that I could learn by myself, you mm. know? And I yes. realized that after like about like eight years after I started this journey where I was like, I don't know everything, you know? Yeah. And I was like that, that egotistical kid. I was like, I'm just going to do this whimsically and just figure it out on my own. But at a certain point, you need a teacher. You need right. a mentor. Because if not, yeah. you'll stay on the surface. You'll never go deep. Yep. And you know, if you are on that path, like you're saying, I think that you can take the first step by maybe just having a friend who you're doing it with, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the first right. step. Guru and can then come maybe, in different forms. And then the, maybe the second step or like, yeah, for example, okay, let me just start back. So you can go back to first, they're your first gurus can be your parents. If that's the situation you have, awesome. But the next person can be like, oh, your friend and you are taking Krishna consciousness very seriously. So you're going in this endeavor and trying to learn as much as you can. At one point, you'll realize that that will not be enough. And then you'll seek someone maybe a little older, a mentor before you get to like the guru stage. It might be enough to a certain point, but you'll hit a wall sooner or later. Oh, and I hit that wall (laughs) for sure. And so then you get to the mentor and it's someone who's uh, maybe a little older than you, not quite like you know, like a guru status person, but just someone who's been in the movement for a long time and they can guide you. And then that's like, like someone you can lean on. And eventually those people being so knowledgeable will tell you like, listen, there's someone out there that is living this like every single second of their life and they will inspire you Mm -hmm. and they will connect you to Krishna in ways that none other could have done. And it's such a magical process because they say when Krishna or God is really merciful and happy with his devotee, there he sends a spiritual master. So he sends you the person perfectly meant for you. Maybe we can at one point talk about an episode. All of us three have felt probably that little magical spark in our hearts like, whoa. I found the one. Yeah. Yes. And when the student is ready, the teacher arrives, oh, right? I love yes. that. Love and you it. know what? The final couple lines of this purport explain why, again, we hammered down on the whole soul, soul, soul talk. Because it says, the whole process 
depends on this perfect knowledge of the soul beyond the conception of the body, not theoretically, but practically, because there has to be no more chance that we fall into the wanting to please our senses and just having the works of our results be for me, me, me. So one who is not firmly fixed in the mind can be diverted by so many types of those fruitive activities that we had talked about. So we really have to be rooted in knowledge, in devotion to not get swayed by the wind. Love it. Thank you, Shamali. All right. All right. Chapter two, text number 42 and 43. Men of small knowledge are very much attached to the flowery words of the Vedas, which recommend various fruit of activities for elevation to heavenly planets, resultant good behavior and power and so forth. Being desirous of sense gratification and opulent life, they say there is nothing more than this. Okay, mm. what's going on? Mm. Who wants to take the first stab at this? Mm. Priya, I'm going to put you on the hot seat. What does the purport mean? Or what does the text mean? Because I have some thoughts about the purport. And what's but you the take va- it away. What's the Vedas? Like, what are they talking about when they're talking about the Vedas? All right, let's, let's, let's oh, go. Oh, yeah, the Vedas. One Why don't we start at a time. So, yes. men of small knowledge are very much attached to the flowery words of the Vedas. So, um... Man of small knowledge. I think we're talking about Peasants. spiritual knowledge. <laughs> no, <laughs> we are not being mean to people. We're talking about people who have not discovered the spiritual knowledge. Right. So that's what we're talking about here with small knowledge. Okay. And the Vedas, isn't it like the most ancient philosophy where all of this comes from? Yes. yes. It's a bunch of books. Bunch of different scriptures. Yes. It'll yeah. explain um, the purport a little more, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's a bunch of books that uh, give recommendations of what to do with your life and guidance and everything. But then in the Vedas, we have a little bit of everything, right? right. Because life is complicated and there's lots of information. Like if you want to have a life of wealth, to say prayers to this demigod, uh, or if you want to... Whatever. Right. So but, there's a bunch of cheat codes, okay? Uh-huh. So if you want a good husband, you pray to this demigod. Yes. If you want rain to rain on your crops, you pay to this one. If you and want demigods Amazon would be like, kind of like the saints in different religions. They're not the god that we're supposed to worship. Yeah, so so they're, they're, they promise, demigods promise powers of some sort. Not like superpowers, but more like the ability to remove obstacles. Find a good husband. Or yeah, to find a good husband or like all these things. And so people who, and I have actually a, a story that I would like to Do share. Do it, go crazy. So when I was growing up, I, actually, Shama Sangeeta, when you were telling us the story about your upbringing, you were saying that you would go to temples and the temples had like a bunch of different deities. They had like so Ganesh many different statues. All yeah, of them, right? And, and for me, it was kind of the opposite like the, the temples that I grew up with it was like Krishna was in every temple kind of the same and it was like either Krishna with his girlfriend or Krishna with his brother or Krishna with his like sister and brother right so this idea that like many gods like it wasn't prevalent for me right yeah. and so um I kind of started thinking and then I would read the Bhagavad Gita and I would say like not to worship the demigods, right? And I created this sort of sense of like demigods are bad. Mm, this sort of feeling right, in my head right. that like demigods is not Krishna They're not consciousness. The topmost. Well, I mean, I'm just like walking you through my mental process. Like right. I felt like they're not Krishna consciousness. Krishna consciousness is Krishna, Krishna, right? Yeah. And it kind Beware of went like- of the demigods. Right. It was like, you're not supposed to worship them. It's like not knowledge to do this right, thing, right? right? And then and then I heard um, a really cool example and i think i've over time obviously come to appreciate demigods and so um the idea is that let's say you work at a company and you have this big project to do and in this case the the company we're talking about is within krishna consciousness just for the sake of the example and so you have this big project to do and you need information from someone now in krishna consciousness we're encouraged to have a relationship directly with the ceo 
Yes. We're encouraged to have a relationship with Krishna, right. who's like the topmost person in the company. And the demigods are like the managers, right? So right. Like, like they're like, she's like the, like Lakshmi is like the VP of finance. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I love that. Exactly. So then um, you obviously could go to the managers and request some information from them. But in Krishna consciousness, we're saying, go to the CEO. He has right, all the information, right? Yes. right? And so I, my understanding of this is... Um, you have to appreciate that the managers are doing a great work and they're doing it with love for the CEO. In this Krishna conscious movement, the demigods are like just trying to help Krishna. And so they're doing their job. Like some of them are in charge of giving us rain. Some of them are in charge of giving us money, all these things, yeah. right? And so to appreciate them, to understand Krishna consciousness, you really do have to appreciate them, but you should know at the end of the day, go who the to CEO the, go is. To, right. Yes, you, you know, know what I mean? So if you want to know a little that. more how to navigate the confusing flowery language of the Vedas, tune in to the next episode where we'll talk even more about it. Love it. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Thank you. Bye. 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 Hello, beautiful souls. If you like what you're hearing, please follow us on Instagram at Modern Yogi Podcast. And if you love what you're hearing, please make sure to share a link to our podcast at Modern Yogi Podcast with all your friends, families, and long lost cousins. And if you have any questions at all, send us a DM on Instagram at Modern Yogi Podcast and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thank you for listening to The, the Modern, Modern Yogi. Yogi.